Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Helder Costa return of the podcast. Don't write off the old boy just yet. And I'm joined by the Pascal Strout first senior goal of his professional career of the Come podcast, on. Tom Alderson. <laughs> we told you it was coming. And finally, the complete demise of his large French son of the podcast. Let's hope he's recovered from yesterday. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm I'm all right. Yes, it, it was a it was a difficult difficult afternoon's viewing for for any fan of Melier. But as I tell my actual son, you know, mistakes are what defines us as human beings, and our response to them is more more important than making them. So <laughs> I'm anticipating big performances from 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 young Ileana over the next few weeks. But I'm yeah, I'm pretty good apart from having spent the last twelve hours of my life fighting people off on behalf of Pascal Stroke. I'm I'm absolutely fine, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> Tom Alderson, how are you? I I did the complete opposite. I put my head in the sand and just like went to bed and just didn't even try and think about Pascal Stroik, which was probably <laughs> the better option. But we we should have known this was coming, Darren. When as soon as we agreed to do the review, I think we were, yeah. we were lulled into a full sense of security after the Palace game, weren't we? Absolutely agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is the kiss of death of the All Stats, aren't we? Podcast, the duo of Tom and Darren. So uh, here we are. And sorry about that. Well, let's begin as we always do with. The perhaps depressing question in this case of how did that feel, Tom Alderson? How did that feel at half time? That felt absolutely horrendous. Like I just I didn't really want to watch the second half, and I'm I normally watch whatever whatever's going on in the second half, whether it's awful or not. And I just felt like turning it off. And I think I think if I wasn't doing this this morning, I probably would have turned it off. Um, but then the second half was like they, they responded, and I still didn't feel great about it at the end of the game. But I felt better. And I think that's just, it's just the nature of Leeds United, just the mix of emotions of 90 minutes, isn't it? I think it's nice that you can go from a situation where things aren't working and you know that things will start working for sure. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about the press and I think a lot of that is, to come down with the fact, is going to come down to the fact that you can play against Leeds United with a good high press and cause problems, but you can't do that for the whole game. And once that period passes, then you know you're going to be under the cosh a little bit. So... Yeah, it's it's for me anyway. It felt just like another example of playing against a team who are who do have good players 
um, and we've we've seen this before. You know, it does. You don't need to take into account the table positions necessarily when it comes to leads being caused problems by teams. Actually, if you look player for player. Um, a team can can actually perform quite well against us without being particularly high in the table as long as they have that personnel. And I also kind of think that there's an extent to which leads are almost like a, uh, a looked forward to for some teams because you, I think of some teams you just don't have tactical identities, quote-unquote. Like, for example, Chelsea under Lampard didn't really have a tactical identity. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a very reactive manager. Arteta's Arsenal feel like a, a an identityless team to me as well, and it and they come and play Leeds, and it, it's almost as though they really thrive from the opportunity to actually have the tactics set out for them. They know what they have to do, and it, it sort of gives them an identity when when they play against us. And I felt a little bit like that against Arsenal. I've watched the, the last few Arsenal games, and they've just looked completely bereft of any ideas. Um, but yesterday in the first half. They 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 pressed high. They had they had um, they had tactical uh, ideas. They 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 got their centre backs pushing forward into space in the central midfield. They worked our press around well. They used Granite Shaka to try and pull the central midfielder out of space. All of which I think you can see happening in 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 these games against big sides. So we've seen it happen against Chelsea. We saw it happen against Manchester United, uh, and now we've seen it happen against Arsenal. So for me, some of the feeling just comes down to the fact that against teams even if they're not particularly playing well in the Premier League reactive teams with decent personnel are always going to cause problems against us Darren how about you yeah I guess, I guess much the same really I, I suppose the, the 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 really frustrating thing for me and the thing that, I, that got me really angry is that at the point at which Arsenal scored their second goal we had uh, they did really settled their press down actually they only really pressed very high for for the first 15 minutes until they scored and then i i felt that they dropped off a bit and we started to have a bit of success in the game and started to move forward well and then we just gave away two really stupid goals and and that's the that's the really frustrating thing for me is that very often with us it feels like teams don't have to work particularly hard or they don't have to be especially creative or they don't have to be especially skilled but but that eventually we will make mistakes which which are our own undoing and that was very much the case for the second and third goals I felt. Um so yeah, we, we kind of gave away our, our any real chance we had of getting into the game. And I think I think Luke Alien said it in his in his post match interview that um it, you know, it's easy to look good when you're four 0 down because the other team are, are really going to drop off. That they'll give you space. That you can you can you know pop the ball around and look good. But actually, what we need to do is we need to make sure that that in these games where we're um you know where we're up against player teams that have got a higher quality of player man for man than we've got that that we that we stay in the stay in the game and 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 maybe I'm not talking about the sort of pragmatism that that British football press me when I talk about pragmatism but but to make some slightly more pragmatic decisions in possession which will allow us to to work our way into the game and I feel like we don't really do that well enough against the big sides um and 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 you know for all Arsenal are in mid table I think that I think they are player for player better than their their league table suggests right now so let's get into the questions then again thank you for all the questions we had too many questions about Strauch to fit them all in so do bear with us um <laughs> let's start off by talking about what I've labeled the blueprint here because we had a couple of good questions on this so Giancarlo Sandoval says are Arsenal following the patterns of teams that have pulled a win over Leeds passing and pressing was top notch during the first half and it got me wondering if a how to beat Leeds article would be interesting to write slash read uh, and then Brolin ate the pie 
thankfully keeping the question nice and simple for Tom Alderson this week. Is concerted, <laughs> organised opposition high-pressing Bielsa's kryptonite discuss? Who wants to jump on this first? Darren, I can hear you itching to get onto this, so why don't you jump in with this? It is pretty pretty clear, isn't it, that that if if a, I, th- I think the, the the real clear thing to me is that when when we're up against opposition that have got a higher quality of players and they're prepared to do the same things that we do, i.e., play with a high and intense press and really commit to that, that eventually their their quality will be the defining element in the game, and I feel like that's really what really what happened again yesterday. So, yeah, I don't I don't think it's I don't think how to beat Leeds is rocket science. Um, and I think that, that we will continue to see performances and results such at this until such a point as we address some of the glaring deficiencies in our squad um, and, and, and get a, a you know, higher quality of player in certain positions where we clearly need them. Because at the moment, you know, teams are coming with a very clear plan to get the ball to, to Alioski. Now, I'm not digging out Alioski. I, I, you know, I've got a lot of time for him. I'm you know, quite fond of him and everything. But I think what's clear is that, that he crumbles under a press. So some of the things that Arsenal were doing yesterday, for example, is when Liam Cooper had the ball at his feet, they were pressing him very hard from central areas to make sure that he did funnel the ball out to Alioski and then, and then they were triggering their, the rest of their press from there. And until we can address those specific issues about how we move the ball from front to back and to make sure that we've got players in key positions who are able to deal with that sort of press, we're going to come up against results such as this. And I think it's just pretty clear. I think, yeah, the, the pressing was clearly a key part of it. Um, and yeah, I completely, completely agree with what Darren's saying. Like They were just the same with like when Melier was on the ball, they were trying, they were forcing it to Alioski. And I think even when we tried to go down the right, um, they were just sort of, they were pressed, because it's not obviously it's weaker from for Melier on that side as well, which makes it difficult for one. Um, and then yeah, I don't know if it was to to keep it to Alioski. I think a, net, a bit of it will have been to try and keep it away from Rafinha as well uh, by by building up on that right hand side. Um, I, but I don't know because I think for, for me, I've, I've seen a couple of people say that if we'd had like someone who could dribble out from the back, that might have helped on that side. But I think Ailing's that player, so I just think that shows how good their their press was yesterday. And when when the ball did get to Alioski, I think that's the times when um, either Click or Dallas needs to drop in and help because Alioski, if he actually did manage to get the ball under control, was which was really not very often at all, then Louise was all over Harrison, and it was so he, he didn't really have an option other than to usually lose the ball, to be honest. Um, and then to the other thing that causes Leeds a lot of problems, which we saw yesterday, was just the movement of the front four. Really, they were just all all over the place, and that just that's always going to cause us problems in the man marking system. Like any of the front four could pretty much take up any of those front four positions. And I think we saw that one for the first goal and for the third goal to an extent as well. Like if they can all beat the man, it was that's just another way just to cause Leeds a lot of problems. Yeah, I think it's it's instructive, isn't it that. Arsenal now have this group of youngsters in that in those positions. They have Bakayo Sacco, Emil Smith-Rowe, now Martin Erdogan as well as an option. And then obviously Aubameyang, one of the one of the best nines slash wide players in the world. Um, it's 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 easy to to forget that that um, that lineup of forward players is actually quite different to players that they've been playing in the earlier parts of the season. I mean, when they played against us, um, Bakaya Saku didn't come on until the second half. I don't think Emil Smith-Rowe played. Uh, Aubameyang certainly didn't start the game. Lacazette played. And uh, I mean, it was Pepe and, and Willian as well, right? Older players who played against us. And I, I feel as though for all that you can criticise Arteta, and I think rightly so, 
yesterday was was a was a good tactical approach to to Leeds United and it and it caused us a huge amount of 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 problems and I've already talked about how you know you don't need it is Darren you said it's not rocket science you're right you know Frank Lampard beat us um quite comfortably playing the right tactics um Ole Gunnar Solskjaer also com- beat us quite comfortably playing the right tactics so it's not it's not like playing against man marking is some kind of mystical approach which isn't really easy to to sort of um uh, break down in many respects it's probably easier to understand than a lot of zonal systems right because you just know what's going to happen in each situation um i guess a question i would have for 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 you both is whether or not in those situations we know that with a high press you're you're going to sustain pressure um for for a i mean i guess it it dropped off after about the first 20 minutes and it changed a lot even after the first goal i think pascal strauch dropped out of the central spaces quite a lot and sort of went either between the two centre-backs or in between the centre-back and the full-back just to try and drag his player out of the way and leave space for for the eights to drop in. Um, the other thing I think that's worth asking is whether or not just in those in those periods of sustained pressure, whether or not it's just worth going long, just trying to hit yeah. Rafinha yeah, in definitely. the channel. Um, what, how do you feel about that? And why do you think that Bielsa doesn't seem that keen on doing it? Um, I that's kind of what I was referring to when I said more pragmatic pass choices, really. So you, you don't have to stick to the, you know, you don't have to stick to the blueprint of short interplay all all the time. That that, and actually, I, to be fair, I think we did we did try and mix it up a little bit like that. But we were trying to hit it into central areas and try and get Bamford to hold it up rather than trying to hit hit the wide areas, which I think would have been a wiser choice because if we can do that, we can turn them around a little bit, which we didn't really manage to do at all in the first half. So I, I think that that would be the, the, the way to go. I think I think part of the, maybe part of the reason we didn't do that is that, you know, if, if we're looking specifically for Rafinha, that they were funneling us to our left. So it's difficult to hit that, that diagonal in behind them very often. But having said that, Harrison is also the sort of player who can get in behind a fullback with, 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 with pace and, and everything. And we, we didn't, you know, beyond the times when Alioski had the ball and was looking down the line like he always does, they kind of cut that option off every time so you're really looking for your centre halves to try and find that ball in behind but they they seem to be looking more centrally to Bamford for some reason Another thing that might have been helpful in this situation it's, and it's quite difficult for me to uh, to think about this because I've not really I've only watched part of the game back but I think in these situations it's when you need Dallas and Click dropping in and mm. I think that they weren't in the first half especially and nope. I, th- I think part of that was Jacker was moving all over the place and was like a really important part of what caused us problems. He was moving into defence, which was, I think, drawing click out. Um, and then that was leaving Dallas sort of isolated. And it's almost in the way we've seen happen to click uh, when Rodrigo plays. And if you've got Dallas there against, um, who was it? Who was the other midfielder? Ceballos, was it? Yeah. Um, I think, well, Dallas against Ceballos, man for man, it's just not going to go well, is it? And I think we've, in those situations as well, Louise and... Gabriel was just able to dribble past our press, and then Dallas is in just a, t- a, t- a two-on-one, not not in Leeds' favour. So I think for me, the only way that we could have caused those, solved those problems in the first half was I would just to leave Jacka, which is never going to happen because of the nature of the man-marking system, or to go long to players like Rafinha or Harrison. I think Harrison is really good in those situations as well, probably maybe even better than Rafinha when we were seeing that in a lot of games in the past. That point about the eights not dropping in is really interesting and it made me think back to the Swansea game towards the end of last season where I think, was it Conor Gallagher that was playing at 10 for Swansea and he sat on, on Calvin Phillips throughout the entire game and really kept him out of it in much a similar way that we saw Odegaard do to to, um, to Stroke yesterday. 
Um, and what, the the way that we solved that was was by Click repeatedly dropping into those central areas and, and by by um, Phillips moving out wide and kind of going to almost a double pivot in possession, which which we never we never really did yesterday. And I think and it's a similar thing that we saw against Brighton where where they pressed us hard and and the, and the eights didn't drop in then either. And I think it's a recurring problem that we're seeing is that we've sort of forgotten how to crack that nut really. Um, and we and and the eights need to take responsibility in those in those situations. And there were times when when they did that, but not at the points at which we really needed to. The, which is when we were under a lot of pressure in those first fifteen twenty minutes. I've rewatched the first half twice now, and I was really I was trying to be really really uber critical about everything. Um, but I think yeah, there was times when maybe the eights could drop a little bit quicker. But even still, I think so much of it comes down to the fact that Arsenal's press was causing us to have to respond quicker than you usually would expect in those situations. And um, again, we're going to get on to talk about Pascal Strout, but one of the really important uh, responsibilities of this, this the defensive midfielder is when they're, when they're being marked by the, the opposition 10, is to, is to make movements which open up a huge amount of space to allow the eights to drop into. Um, and that is absolutely fundamental to to what we do in the build up phase and and it just wasn't happening there wasn't as you've said there wasn't anyone uh, dropping in uh, quickly enough and the, the, there were people the, the, both of the both Dallas and and um and Click were dropping in but it, there just wasn't the fluidity I don't think to maybe even get the ball to the center backs because you you don't often get the goalkeeper playing directly to the the central midfielders in our system it often it's often play one one centre back to the other and then the centre backs are going to try and look for the fullback or the the central midfielder as an option to then feed it into the fullback um and it just what it just wasn't happening it felt it felt like the press was being kept very deep um the 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 build up was being kept very deep yesterday uh, more so than we've seen against other pressing teams and it felt like we couldn't get it out of our centre backs uh, let alone you know getting it through to our fullbacks or 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 midfielders so well again whether or not you can i'm i'm sure people will make the argument that if we'd have had Strauch as a centre back and someone else in the defensive midfield position then maybe it would have changed things and that, and that's true um but one more question on on this topic before we start, before we talk through um, the Strout issues. But Mike Turetsky says, once again, we find it hard to play out for Melier with a high press. Once again, our opposition's defenders maraud through our midfield. Same problems, different team. Why can't our tactical genius of a manager find solutions? Tom Alderson. We've kind of touched on this, but I think it is worth talking about, like, why is it that Bielsa takes... Well, I mean, it, does he not? Because he, he kind of did find solutions, I, th- I think, in a certain extent. But um, let, let's talk about how specifically the Bielsa angle on this. So I, th- I think he did find a solution for that, for the almost free at the back, which we saw yesterday at times from uh, Arsenal and uh, with Harrison pressing. And that was quite... Harrison was no- noticeably not pressing in the first half. Um, and that it was Bamford was getting annoyed at that. And I think it's because if Harrison left um, Bellerin, then when Bellerin is a very good ball carrier. Um, we saw that yesterday and we saw that um, in the goal they almost scored um, against us at Ellen Road. So it's it's not always... If you've got a player like Bellerin that can do that, it kind of negates the Harrison aspect of it. And I wonder if maybe Rafinha, who is not as good as a presser, could have maybe done that role, but we know he's not quite as effective at his pressing yet as Harrison is. Um, so Bielsa has tried to find problems for that. In terms of the build-up, there's only so many solutions I think you could find with a T with players of this level. Um this it's we've said this a lot of times that if you, once 
if we stay in like build build and get better players who are more comfortable on the ball this we will eventually just have the players that can play this system against these teams and work through it so i just i think that there's only this it's almost like the ceiling of this team in its current state is um it's shown up yesterday yeah, to- totally agree. Uh, Harrison was was tasked with man marking Bellerin yesterday, and 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 did did so you know, pretty diligently in the first half. So th- it becomes up to the eights then, doesn't it, to make sure that they they support Bamford in the press. And and to be honest, I thought we looked disorganised between the two of them. And it was there were times when both of them went. There were times when neither of them went. There were times that one of them went. Um, and and it just kind of. It, it just didn't. It didn't look like like the press was was kind of as seamless as it can look. I think. I think if we're able to have Harrison joining the, the front press in the way that he's done in the last few weeks, then we don't see as many problems with da- with uh, David Luiz stepping out into into the central midfield areas, which we saw a lot of yesterday. I think. I think he makes him go sideways, and that's ideally what you'd want. But then that does leave Bellerin open, and and he's he's a player that can cause us a lot of problems. So, um, yeah, I think. I think. You know, every every system, <coughs> excuse me, every system has its flaws, and and this so happens to be one of ours. However, I didn't I didn't think we were as aggressive in you know when when there were opportunities to press in the first half as we can be at times, and and I thought I thought that caused us a bit of problems. I thought there were there were times when we looked a, a little bit passive, um, and and that certainly seemed to to switch around a little bit in the second half when we seemed seemed to be kind of you know that that yard quicker if you like um, in in getting there. Yeah, I think it's worth saying as well that you know what what has happened in the game from Arteta's point of view is he's put filled his back line with players who are ball carriers, and he's filled his forward line with players who can press. That's what happened when when um, when Frank Lampard played against us as well, and that, that's just the, the you know that it's so hard. It's it's easy when you're playing against a team like Crystal Palace where Scott Dan and Gary Cahill aren't going to press forward. And lo and behold, we win that game. And then you come up against Arsenal, where both David Luiz and Gabriel can can run through um, a midfield. And then you've, like you say, you've got Bellerin who can invert and, and almost play through the central spaces as well. That's that is certainly kryptonite to to a Bielsa system. And there were so many times when I think Harrison was trying to, you know, close down Luiz, and Luiz would just find an easy-ish pass uh, into into Bellerin, who's unmarked. And I wonder whether or not the solution was. I don't know. To, again, it's 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 hard to say because we, we're always going to play that that inferiority up front in the forward press where Bamford is covering the two centre backs. But um, we saw it happen, I guess, against um, Madison and played as a left back, and that allowed Alioski to push forward onto the wide, well, the wing back. I guess they were playing a three four three, and then Harrison then would play in the in the forward press. But that's because he's playing against a back three rather than a back four. Um, so you're going to have the extra player over there. Um, but something, if we can work something like that, where you do some kind of reticulated press, where the, where where Harrison can push forward onto the centre back, and then. Alioski, the left back, can push onto the the player that he's leaving behind, and then I don't know, maybe the central defensive midfielder pushes onto the wide into the wide space. I don't I don't think we've ever seen that happen, but something like that might make a big difference in those sorts of games where you're then covering all the players and then leaving a player in an advanced position unmarked, essentially, um, and just taking that risk because that risk, I guess, when you balance it up, will will be a little bit um, a little bit lower, but. 
I think we've kind of moved into another topic, which is where's the forward press going wrong? So um, I'll just note that Joe Brennan said, what if anything changed in terms of the press from the first to the second half? Bamford looked utterly fed up with minutes um, within minutes of the first half, but involved a lot more in the second half. So um, yeah, Tom, I interrupted you. So you could say what you wanted to say, but let's think. Let's start thinking about what changed between the first and the second half in terms of the forward press. So the only thing I was going to say is that um, I think the idea about sort of Dallas moving in and that rotation around was all reliant on, I think, on what Xhaka was doing. And I think if like Xhaka moving causes causes the problems, and I think we'd have had to, that would have allowed Harrison to go. But if Xhaka doesn't move, then you've got to go with click pressing. And I think it's almost it's almost like a pressing trigger, but it just that to me sounds like too much to go wrong for it to be a, a solution. I know it was just something you kind of thought up on the spot, but I don't know. It's, it's like Darren said, like we're always going to have. There's like a, all tactical systems have a problem, um, and I, I just think that that sort of going with that whole rotation only works probably with a three-four-three more than so than a four-two-three-one that we saw Arsenal play yesterday. Yeah, and um, you know that's the famous Rafa Benitez quote, or I think it's an Iberian quote anyway. But the the notion of because I think Mourinho's used it before, but the notion of having a blanket. Um, and if you if your head's cold, you pull your blanket up, but then your feet become cold, and that's that's true. That's just true of of tactics, right? When, whenever you're trying to solve one weakness in your system, you create another weakness somewhere else. That and that's true. Um, interesting what you're saying there, because we had we had a question from from Adam Michael Finney, which was essentially touching on the problem that you've described, Tom. So he's saying with Arsenal playing the box, two defensive central midfielders and, and then two central defenders, does it make sense to have Dallas mark a back? So a full back, I guess. So um, Rafinha can ha- can mark the central defensive midfielder with both still playing basically the same roles in attack. So I think what he's suggesting is that if Rafinha marks Xhaka and Dallas keeps an eye on the fullback, does that mean then that rather than having that system pulled around, so you've got Rafinha, you know, dropping in with the fullback and then Dallas being pulled forward, you do it the other way around so that Rafinha's in a more advanced position. Um, and he says, yeah, so he says, could this help Rafinha stay more advanced so he doesn't have to chase attacking fullbacks box to box? Um, which I think, again, that's another way of sort of starting to think around around those problems. What do you make of that? I, I quite like that as a solution, to be honest. And I think it also it gets Rafinha more involved um, if he's been dra- dragged a little bit more central compared to staying on the wing against Cedric. I think if you, we've also because with, with Rafinha marking Cedric, he's like he's the player. If I look at that Arsenal team, that worries me the least. So maybe he's the man that you're quite prepared for him to be have a little bit more space on the ball. But yeah, no, I, I do like that as a solution from Adam. And I think with, Raf- with Rafinha coming more central, we might have had less problems trying to pass out because just he's one of the more comfortable players on the ball. And I think as well, like the the other thing that you you're starting to get here is the the notion then of of trying to identify the 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 weaknesses in the opposition so that you can sort of make your man marking system work to the best of its capacity. And it's not like we don't see this. Like we we saw it last week against Palace when um, when Dallas was basically doubling up on Eze and they were happy to let certain players like Jairo Riedeval just drop deep or Luka Milivojevic more. I think they were happy to just let him drop into his own half and be like, well, what's he going to do from there? And then double up on Eze. And then as soon as Milivojevic came forward, then, then Dallas would pick him up. And I don't see why you couldn't do the same sort of thing with, um, with who am I thinking of now? Uh, Xhaka. So in that sense, what you're doing is you're just trying to identify the points at which these players need to be man-marked and the points at which you can almost let them become, um, I guess, 
just useless within within the context of where the ball is at, at any point in time uh, which again is you know you're, you're adding things to make it more and more complicated but I do think that Bielsa thinks in those terms and um, uh, I guess this this all raises the question of like what did change in, in the second half why did it suddenly become uh, a little bit easier for our forward press um, Darren let's bring you in here because we've, we've we've talked a lot of, um, but it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts I don't think anything technically changed, particularly in terms of who was pressing who and, and who was on who in the, in the second. I mean, obviously there were personnel changes and I think that helped a little bit. Um, I think I think the main thing that changed was was that, that Arsenal <coughs> decided that they were going to, you know, that they weren't going to re- overcommit themselves. They they kind of became more passive. And I think I think we, we pushed our press a little bit higher than we had in the first half in a more unified way. I think that's the only thing that I can really identify is that in the first half, we did a kind of more passive press where we were, I suppose we were, we were making sure that if the centre-backs ran out, that they ran into numbers, um, which is something that we've been doing more recently. And I felt like in the second half, we kind of went went to more of our traditional press where we're kind of right on right on every player at every moment. Um, but I think we were aided in doing that by Arsenal's kind of relative passiveness compared to their first half performance. Yeah, because after whatever it was, 47 minutes, they were 4-0 up. 4-0 up, yeah. Yeah. Right, I think we've arrived at our f- favourite part of the show, which is where we talk about Pascal Strauch and everyone hates us for it. So um, <laughs> let's let's turn and talk about Stroutgate. So question from Dougie Jones, simple and obvious. Was it correct to start Strauch at d- defensive midfield and the necessary disruption that it caused us? Who wants to go first? Right, I would I would start with this very simple question: Would you want Stuart Dallas or um, Matthias Click man marking Odegaard? That's the first question that I'd ask when when you're addressing this, because primarily that's his first task is to make sure that the opposition's number ten doesn't influence the game, and um, Odegaard did not influence the game barely at all yesterday. I think Stroke kept him really quiet throughout the whole time. So I think from that point of view, it's clear to me. And from what Bielsa said in his press conference afterwards, it's clear to Bielsa too that you wouldn't want um, Dallas or Click man marking their most dangerous player. So that's the, the, that's the first point. I'll, I'll let someone else talk. <laughs> Tom, what's your take? <laughs> if there's like sort of levels to the defensive midfield position, it's like there's Phillips, then there's a little gap, and the Stroke, and then there's a really massive gap. <laughs> And then there's Click Dallas. I don't. Is Dallas even there? Why do people think Dallas can play defensive midfield? Because he hasn't played there yet. I think that's he hasn't. The he's he's thing. versatile. He's a versatile player. He can do that. Um. So there's what Click, maybe Robin Cock. I feel like maybe Ailing. I don't know. I'm I'm making it up on the spot now. But if Phillips played there yesterday, is that result any different? Prob. Well, not. I'm going to say no, it's not. If you play Stuart Dallas there or click there in the first half, is it any different? Yes, I think we're 6-0 down at half-time. This is the quote that Bielsa gave in the post-match press conference. So the question was, was the what was the problem with Mateus Click? And also, when do you expect Calvin Phillips to be back? Because clearly he's a big miss for you too. And Bielsa said, I think Pascal played a good game today. Shackleton's first half as a fullback was secure as a fullback. Ailing as a centre-back globally made good responses I'm not entirely sure what word what that word is doing there but um, I think that that must be generally um, typoed wrong so ailing as a centre-back generally made good responses of course all teams have absences and not being able to count on Phillips is a disadvantage but I don't think it was this that unbalanced the game um, which I think is pretty much the opposite of what the fan base was saying yesterday. Now, of course, you know you can we can we can argue till the cows come home about whether or not Bielsa is the best person to judge whether or not his system works. I I, I think in many respects the the issue is moot because the 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 whole point is is that that we play 
the central defensive midfielder in this system in a very specific way. And I think a lot of people's disagreements with the way that that position is played comes down to the fact that it's 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 nothing like what you see in a zonal system. And we're used to seeing defensive midfielders in zonal systems. And so we look at that defensive midfielder position and we say, well, that's not that doesn't look like what I expect a defensive midfielder to look like. Therefore, you know, Strauk isn't doing enough. I think people expect a good central defensive midfielder to be... I mean, and is it even that? I mean, you, people expect someone like N'Golo Kante to be a good defensive midfielder. When, it, In effect, I mean, N'Golo Kante played as an eight when Leicester won the Premier League in a 4-4-2. And people see him as being like the, the classic defensive midfielder. He's obviously a very good defensive player in that situation. Um, and he's a, probably one of the best tacklers of the ball that the game has ever seen. But that doesn't mean to say that the, the, the way that he plays should therefore be translated onto the, the system that we have here. So I think that's, for me, that's that's the main issue here. And I've spent a lot of time in the last few weeks just tr- really trying to spell out what it is that the central defensive midfielder does. And on my watching yesterday, Strauch did absolutely nothing wrong in the first half. They, the, the, I... I genuinely feel as though I'm being a little bit gaslit here because I feel as though I, you know, we're all, we're all okay with the idea that, that, you know, you have biases and, and you have agendas and, you know, you can never rid yourself of those biases. And, you know, we, I certainly have a soft spot for Pascal Strauch. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure there's people out there being like, oh, here we go again. Also, that's aren't we a, a defending Strauch? And I should say, we're not united, I don't think, as a as a channel on, on Strauch because Josh Hobbs thinks he had an, an awful game yesterday and he would argue about um, Strauch's positional movement in the first half. So, and, and I fully respect Josh's opinion on players. Like, I think he's a, a great reader of players. So it's not as though we're, we're simply coming out with a consensus opinion here. But on my watching of the game back, I genuinely think he did. He played that game in exactly the same way that Calvin Phillips would have done, and so much of that you can you can you can see this because if you watch back and see what Calvin Phillips does movement wise in games, that's exactly what Pascal Strauch does movement wise in games. So you've already mentioned Aaron that there's been there was no defensive issues. Odegaard was kept quiet. I, I think there's maybe there's maybe one or two situations where you could maybe question whether or not he should have come across and and cut off a player um, when the centre backs running through. Uh, but I, I think that's incredibly harsh. And then there's probably one or two places where you can look at the position and say he could be slightly quicker moving here, or um, he could have shown a little bit better there. But it's very very minimal. Uh, and so with with all of that in mind, I, I just can't do anything in good conscience I can't say anything other than I think Pascal Strat was fine yesterday and I think it's remarkable that you know a player can keep their defensive responsibility completely quiet um, and regardless of what you think of Erdogan and his and his injury issues he was one of the best players in La Liga in the first half of last season and you can I can find you quotes from from very intelligent people who will say that and he he didn't look up to anything yesterday so you you have to take that into account he scored Pascal Strat scored a goal and uh his manager came out and said he played a good game, like, and yet everyone seems to think that that Strauch is poor. And so, yeah, that, that's all I'm going to say on it. But I'm going to hand over to you guys to to sort of fill in the the gaps. I think for me, there's the, the, there are kind of two elements to this to this this discussion around around team selection. If you want to if you want to make it a more general thing, so there are some people who are very critical of Strauch in that midfield role, and and I haven't heard any good 
reasons discussed on a football level why they think he's bad in that role. So all I can imagine is that they, you know, that well, it, I, I I don't know what they're saying because there's a kind of I think if you're gonna if you're gonna say a player can't play that role, then I want to hear something to back that up to say he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, he doesn't do the other, and and uh, most most people who are critical of him don't do that. So so clearly we're, we're missing Calvin Phillips, right? That's absolutely fine. I think the other issue, and I think this is a much bigger issue for our team actually, is that at the moment with the level of injuries that we've got, with with Robin Cock and and Urente both out, who could both play centre back or defensive midfield in much the same way that Pascal does, that what that means is that you lose our best right-back and our best facilitator in build-up play from his natural position because it means that he has to move and play as a centre-back. Now, if people have got that criticism, I completely agree with it because that that is a big problem for our team. But that but the situation that we're in, situationally, I still think Pascal Strout would be the best choice to play there, but you'd want an actual centre-back or you'd want someone else other than Luke Ayling playing at centre-back so that you can play Luke Ayling in his, in his main role. The other thing that I would say is that if you think Pascal Strauch had a bad game yesterday and that Calvin Phillips would have had a better game, I urge you to go watch the Swansea game from last season, the one which we won 1-0, because, because Calvin Phillips had exactly the same problems in that game in getting on the ball as Pascal Strauch had yesterday. So that tells, tells me that it's a system issue, not a personnel issue. Or go and watch the Manchester United game earlier this season when Man United pressed high and we, we looked awful in that first half as well. Um, Tom Kelly said, would people find it easier to see Strauch as the answer if the position was referred to as an advanced central defender as opposed to a central defensive midfielder? People seem to think an eight moving back is easier than a centre-back moving slightly forward. Uh, this is interesting because Bielsa actually did describe... The, that position as a as the most advanced centre back yesterday in the, in the third the third defender, the third defender didn't he yeah. said that he said that Click and Dallas are not defensive midfielders but feel Strout can play it as it's the position in our team which is the third defender. Yeah. So Tom Tom Alderson, I'll give you the final word on this. I'm got to be honest. I'm not sh- this question. I'm not too sure. And I do. I think it is easier for an eight to move back because I think I think this was more this is more of a criticism of Ben White more than. Stroik, to be honest, that we saw a lot of problems that with those players like Stroik, Ben White, when they move up, they obviously with the, the centre backs, you've got the ball just everything's in front of you most of the time. But when you're playing in that position, you've got the ball in the turn, and there's just there's everything around you, and it's, it's the hardest position to play. Probably because of that, because of the nature of where the, there's players all around you, the, the ball's coming to you at different angles all the time, and it's just so I think it it is easier for an eight to move back. But I just for me, I think. If it is the most advanced central defender, as as um, you've said, and as Bielsa said, then Stroik is more oft, well is easily the best option for that role. I should say that having watched Robin Koch play pretty much every game as a well, he didn't play every game, but he played a lot of games as a defensive midfielder in the Freiburg system last season. Because I watch Freiburg every week, they're my German side, so I have seen a lot of Koch in that position. You know, I think people would probably have the same sorts of criticisms of Koch that they would have of, of Strauch. Um, Koch, I think, very much looks like a, a centre-back playing as a, as a central midfielder uh, in that respect. And um, I don't think, you know, I don't think that's going to be some kind of magic fix. Um, I also think that Llorente is probably going to be the worst of those three in that position. Um, he very much feels like a player who gets his edge from being able to move forward into space rather than someone who's going to be able to to, to make his edge from from being, as you've said, Tom, in, in, this, in the centre of things and having to do everything neat and tidy. Um, 
I think actually in the second half as well, if you go back and watch the second half, there's a few moments where Pascal Strauch does things that I don't think Calvin Phillips would do in terms of, I think, I genuinely think that, that Strauch is, is slightly more press resistant than Phillips. Um, I think Phillips is much better mobile in, in terms of his mobility. He moves around quicker. He, um, I think, and that helps out defensively. I think he gets to, he gets to situations where one, I don't think Strauch would get to, but also I don't think Strauch would move to because I think he's a bit more of a positional player than a, than a ball orientated player like Calvin is but I don't want to um, alienate our listenership so we will leave the, the discussion of Pascal Strauch If you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, so let's move move on to talk about the, the second half change because Chris Barmford says, did Arsenal drop off in the second half or could they not physically keep it up or did we change more than than, than personnel to win the second half? At 3-0, we... All we could ask for was was to respond and win the half. Um, what do you make of what do you make of the overall tenor of the second half, Darren? Yeah, I think it's and I'm going to ring the game state klaxon here. The, 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 you beat me to it, Darren. <laughs> sorry, mate. And <laughs> um, they're 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 four nil up. They've they don't need to go out and win that game anymore. All they need to do is make sure that they don't give it away, and that's very much what we saw. I thought they they were much more judicious and and, and much more and much more kind of. You know, they still had a couple of chances in the second half, but they, but they chose quite wisely when they were going to commit men forward and when they were going to break. And it, and and it's when they identified that we had we had we'd left spaces by trying to commit men into attack to get back into the game. Like I said, I, I felt their their press dropped in intensity really after their opening goal. Now they're still pressed in the second half and particularly in the kind of the last. Uh, beg your pardon in the first half and particularly in the latter stages of the first half but but it was it was less intense than it was um at the start so but that's an interesting question about whether whether they deliberately dropped off in the second half or whether they they physically couldn't keep it up and i suspect it's i suspect it's somewhere between the two that it's a tactical choice when you fall nil up to to not not take any enormous risks because pressing is a risk 
um, as we see all the time with our system. And, um, and you know, perhaps physically, yeah, I, I think it is difficult to, to run around, you know, with that level of intensity for, for, for the full 90 minutes. So I think I think the answer is somewhere between the two. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's somewhere between the two. I think the only reason I think it might be more that they decided not to do it is that when they brought Willian on, that they didn't really press, even though he was obviously, he would have... Well, you'd think he'd, he'd only just come on, so you'd think if they wanted to press, they'd have been more able to do it with a fresher player on there. So I just think at 4-0, they were quite happy just to almost let Leeds come onto them, and they had the players that could cause us problems if they could try and get it on the break. Um, but yeah... I'm not sure which one's more, but probably both of both of both of them. Yeah, well, let's talk about the subs then as well, because I think regardless of how you view it, um, the the subs definitely did change the game. Um, you've already mentioned, Darren, that our pressing was better in the second half in uh, a forward press. Uh, how much of this do we think was to do with Tyler Roberts coming on? Um, because he does seem to be the most mobile player that we have in the middle at the moment. Um, so. Would you agree with that? Do you think that he made a big difference to the press? I, I do think he made a big difference to the press, and and I think that that one of the things that I was impressed with him is that he was he was quite prepared to kind of go really you know very very deep into our half. He was prepared to really spring at their centre backs from from a deeper position, um, and I, I, th- I thought he did definitely have an impact. And I, I've been you know impressed with him every time he's come on recently. And I th- you know I, I know I'm sort of preempting a question here from later, but I think he's pushing ever closer to a first team place, uh, particularly if if Click is injured as. Uh, you know, for any significant period of time, as as we're led to believe he might be with a hip injury. Um, so yeah, I, I I felt he I felt he supported the press well. Um, but again, I do think it was a combination of Arsenal being less intense plus our increased intensity um, helps that quite a bit. Neb said, impressed with Roberts again. Do you think Roberts has a start in him at some point on merit rather than an injury to others, or is he destined to be an effective bench option? Tom Alderson, what's your take on how Tyler Roberts fits in this team going forward? I think he's done really well coming off the bench of late and when based on those performances alone if Click was injured I would I would probably put Roberts in because I think Rodrigo is as I think we said we said last week Rodrigo is the like for like option almost with with Click is if you want to keep it that way but I think Roberts play, played really well yesterday and I I would like to see him have a start and against is it is it Wolves that we've got on Friday I th- I think with the nature of like a low block, it might be quite nice to have Roberts who can dribble with the ball in the central areas, which we don't have from any other player. Yeah, and Liam Waltby says, not an ideal start like Man United. I think it means like in the Man United game, but does Roberts give us a better central option now teams have changed to pressing us with, with wide players? Click and Dallas don't attract beat men in the same way, which allows more space for wide players. Uh, Darren, what do you make of that? Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think I think Roberts is really good when he plays in the midfield role, or has proven to be really good, or is improving at dropping deep to pick the ball up from the fullbacks and turning and running with it. And and I think that's something that we 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 do miss at times from from our midfield. So I think I think like Tom says against against Wolves, who are likely to set up with a low block and try attackers on the break. I think that that would be quite useful, albeit. Um, Roberts has very often looked quite ponderous against low blocks um, in the championship when, when you know, it, it quite often looks like he's slowing the game down and people get frustrated with him for that. But I, I, I do genuinely think he's next up and I do think it's on merit. And the other player that we should talk about is Niall Huggins, who had a, um, 
a, a debut yesterday. Uh, Nick Ilfaki said, Huggins had a decent showing when he came on, also played at right back, left back and central midfield. Seemed to have moved him and Shackleton and Dallas around quite a bit in the second half. Did you see that having any difference in game dynamics? So let's talk firstly about Huggins before we talk about the sort of constant switching between those three. Um, Darren, I'll let you go first. What did you make of Huggins? Yeah, I thought he looked. I thought he looked really tidy. I thought he stepped up well. He didn't look out of place. He looked. He looks comfortable and confident on the ball. Um, I thought. Uh, yeah, I, I was. I was. I was impressed by him. Albeit with the caveat that he was in. He was actually playing in a game where there was very little pressure because we were a long way behind. We're unlikely to win the game. Um, but I, I thought he kind of in, impacted the game quite positively. Um, and it's almost like having a clone of Jamie Shackleton, isn't it? <laughs> when he when he plays, so um, you know. So let let's, yeah. I'm I'm sort of cautiously optimistic about him, really, at this point. It might be worth talking about Shackleton actually, because we have a lot of people who say, you know, oh, well, we look better when Shackleton was playing in the central midfield space, and um, this has been the sort of constant discussion amongst the fan base ever since Shackleton played okay. I think he played towards the end of the promotion season. Uh, sorry, the, the the season where we lost in the playoffs uh, is a central midfield. But since then, Bielsa has been very, very reticent to play him in a central space. He prefers to play him as a right back. Um, obviously, both Shackleton and Huggins are diminutive chaps. Um how do how do we view both of those two in that in that sense? Do we think that Bielsa would much rather have them in a wide area because because of the physicality, or or is there something more to that? I think cause I haven't seen that much of Huggins, um, so but for, for for Shackleton, I think it was easier in the second half yesterday to look better at centre mid than it was in the first half. But I've I've been pretty I've always thought. In the last, sort of the last six months or so, that Shackleton's best position is is right back, um, because because he's just too small. I don't think he has he's he's that good at centre mid that he makes up for that lack of physicality. Um, so I think for, for me, I'd rather see Shackleton um, at right back and on on Huggins. I just think he he looked good on the ball, but again, it's um, with the nature of the game as he was in the second half yesterday, it was a lot easier to do that, but. I'm not saying throw him in yet, but he just looked better on the ball than Alioski. So I'm just at this point, I just want anyone in there that can not give away the ball five times in whatever it was, five minutes. How do you think we will see that Alioski position going forward? Because I feel as though we've had a few of these moments where Alioski's played badly and then been dropped for a bit by Bielsa and we've seen someone else come in usually Dallas um, but obviously Dallas is so important to us elsewhere now so so yeah Tom how do you feel we will see that position going forward do you think that we'll just have to um, continue with with Alioski and until we get a better player in or do you think we could see someone like like Huggins come in there as a regular or or I guess Leif Davis is the other one that is often cited, although Bielsa seems to see him as a centre-back rather than a left-back these days. But how would you see that position going forward? I think if we could, we'd put Dallas there. But I think because Davin Dallas will get a run at centre-mid now, that I don't don't really want to see Huggins too early because I think it could could cause him more problems than it could do him good. As we we saw with uh, Stroik when he uh, he came in and had a bad game and it just dented his confidence so I think I think we're going to see Alioski there for for a while until either until we unless Adam Forshaw magically appears from from the grave then I think we're <laughs> gonna 
I think we haven't got anyone that can do that role in midfield that Dallas can do, so we're going to have to play Alioski there. No, no, I, to- I totally agree. I'm, I'm, for, for all of Alioski's qualities and faults, such as they are, and, and I don't think there's any point in, in you know, necess- in necessarily digging digging those up in, in any great detail. I think I think that basically we we are with Alioski until such a time as a as a as either a um, a proper eight comes in another eight comes in or a proper left back comes in and, and that means that we'll we'll see some games when he's not under pressure where he looks great and we'll see games like yesterday when he's pressed heavily and makes a lot of mistakes and I think you, you just kind of have to take the you, it's, you can you can almost you can almost invariably p- predict which games Alioski is going to look decent in and which ones he's going to struggle in and I, th- I think we're just going to be stuck with that till till the end of the season while I've got you here Darren um, we should talk about Melier <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Arnie B says, does Melier have a problem on his near post? Clearly, the pen is 100% his fault, but both the first and third were savable in my view. I like him, but that was his worst performance for us. Okay, so th- there are a few things within this, and the first thing that I, that I will say is that I totally agree it was his worst performance for us, so I'm not... I'm not Please do not think that anything I'm about to say is me saying that that isn't the case because it absolutely is. I think I think if, we're, if you want to look at each of the goals individually, I think for the first one... <clears throat> he has he's gambled that his central defenders are going to cut that space to the near post and he's gone to cover gone to cover the other side and he's it's one of those things where he takes half a step and he's off his balance and therefore the shot coming in at the near post wrong foots him i think it's as simple as that i i kind of from a from you know like i'm i'm not an expert on goalkeeping but i know a bit about it but i i kind of have always had a problem with this idea that a goalkeeper should never be beaten on his near post because a a goal is eight yards wide, and if you if you only cover three of those yards, then you're leaving quite a lot of the rest of the goal open. And I think that if if he decides to stay on his near post for the first for the Aubameyang goal, the first Aubameyang goal rather, he leaves quite a big space at the other side, which a player like Aubameyang is going to curl it in into more times than not. So um, I can see I can see it as a as a criticism. I don't necessarily agree with it for that first one. I think for the for the second one, clearly, yeah, that's his fault. He he should get rid of the ball in some way or another before before he gets challenged. I think for the third one, <coughs> um, uh, I think that the the nature of the third goal um, is is something that you have when you've got a goalkeeper who's who's very tall and quite top heavy as 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 Melier is in in terms of his stance. So a ball driven hard at his feet is going to cause him problems, and we've seen that before in the season. Uh, when Dan James managed to put put a ball in exact almost exactly the same part of of Melier's body and get it past him, so um, y- y- I I wouldn't call that one a mistake either. But I think it's one that he could could do better with. And I think when when you're talking about goalkeeping, I think you've got to be very careful to say not to say he should save this or he should save that because you know if if a ball's driven at anybody's feet from five or six yards like like the like the Bellerin was. Then and it, you know it, it's 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 a it's a difficult shot to save. So yeah, it was it was his worst performance in a lead shirt. I thought his distribution was markedly poor, um, but um, in terms of the shot stopping stuff, I think there are caveats to all of it. I don't really understand goalkeeping. I know that's a big cop out, but um, I I have absolutely no issue with Melier as in a, in general. And I think that's an important thing to say. Like I don't I don't think anything that Melier could do. Is going to make me think, you know, what we should go back to Giko Casilla, um, and I, I don't think anything Melier is going to do is going to make me think we shouldn't have him as our first choice goalkeeper. Um, it, 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 it's all part and parcel of I think being a football fan to just want to dig out individuals in in 
instances where you have a poor game um and i think i think sometimes we're just a bit too lazy on these things you know you know leeds play badly calvin phillips isn't playing must be the, that must be the reason why leeds lost um and it must be the player who who was responsible for covering Calvin Phillips's position. Who's to blame? Uh, you know, the goalkeeper makes a couple of mistakes. Well, that's clearly everything's down to him. Um, obviously, <laughs> the goalkeeper makes a mistake and it ends in a goal. The old cliche. Um, whereas, you know, Pat Bamford makes a mistake and uh, it means that we're not losing as a result of that. So, I, I, with with Melia, I think it's just important to uh, accept that we're going to have him as our goalkeeper, and rather than then to kind of sort of like frustrating over the the mistakes he does make is just be like you know it's a poor game probably would have lost that game anyway either way um so yeah i, I mean maybe maybe yesterday is the worst example of that because i suppose if he doesn't give away the penalty and if he doesn't uh concede one of those two goals then then Leeds maybe have a much better chance of getting in but you know we talk about game state all the time like if if we don't if we if he does save one of those two chances or if he doesn't give away the penalty then you know maybe we pick pick one pick something up somewhere else we we could very much have given a penalty away through Liam Cooper uh, but that was turned over and if we had then we'd have had I can guarantee a number of questions about Liam Cooper not being good enough for the Premier League waiting in our inbox this morning uh, before this podcast so I, I think it's important to and, and we've seen this happen quite a bit haven't we this season where we have a good result and everyone's like yes this is the greatest thing ever we're the best team ever we're going to inevitably finish in European spots and then we have a, a, a game where we we lose and everything's terrible and you can compare i mean you can compare the positions we've had in the table and we've i looked at the last 15 um games and the positions after each game 15 games ago we were in 12th spot um and i don't know what we are now 11th or 12th somewhere around the 11th okay so that has been the general position that we've been in pretty much for the last 20 games pretty much right I mean, from the start we've not really we've been a bit lower at the beginning of the season because we had a bit of a, a nasty start but that's where we're going to finish. We're going to finish in those positions and we're going to have games where we play against better teams and they, they hammer us and it's embarrassing and it's frustrating and you can see the problems writ large over the pitch. Um, but I don't. I think it's, it's, it is good to have a long-term um, outlook on this and just kind of think, we know what the issues are. We know that the solutions to these issues, we can, we can like dot I's and cross T's about how we get out of high press situations. But the, the long and short of it is we need to bring in some new players. That's not going to happen until the summer. We're going to have enough points this season to stay up and uh, I guess it's I don't want to just say to people you know enjoy it because it's games like yesterday certainly in the first half aren't enjoyable but I do think it's it's worth sort of having that longer term out, outlook and think you know is this is 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 one bad performance by Melier for example indicative of of his entire tra- career trajectory clearly not absolutely not and th- this is the thing isn't it that, that everything that happens on a football pitch somebody fills with meaning and actually it, it's that's not what it's about it's about it's about people making having experiences and with a young goalkeeper like Melier he's going to make mistakes and there, were good, there are always going to be games in this season where he makes mistakes but the important thing is that those players will then learn from those mistakes and and, and you know I dare say that Melier won't dilly dally quite so much on the ball in future that he'll find some sort of pass or some sort of clearance in a situation where he's been pressed um I, yeah I, th- I think you not everything that happens has a deeper meaning sometimes things just happen and I, I, I think that that's that's absolutely what we need to remember as football fans so x event doesn't mean y player is awful x event doesn't mean y player is a genius it's it's just things happen on a football pitch sometimes and and you've got to accept that and and take it as, as part of 
been a football fan. Yeah, and it's a lot of this is probabilistic as well. You know, it's it's not just about individual events; it's about over the whole course of a season. That's what that's what matters. Bielsa is making decisions based on long term uh, outlooks rather than just short term gains as well. Um, anyway, we we should end this by talking a little bit about positives. So, uh, have, have you guys got any positives lined up? I think we generally tend to do this when we lose, and uh, this was definitely a game where we lost. So, um, Tom, I'll start with you. Have you got any positives you can dig out of this one? I've got four written down. Four, four. That's just yeah. greedy. Strike goal after his shocker in front of goal on Monday. Didn't he attack that ball well? Oh, unbelievable. That's beautiful, isn't it? I love that. <laughs> Score, scoring from a corner with a big booming header, I'll take that every time. Yeah, and it feels like that could happen more often as well, right? It's like one of those things mm, where you, mm. as soon as that goes in and you've had that last game where you had three chances to, to score, you kind of think, if he gets a good chance to score in, 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 in games, we're going to cause people a lot of problems from uh, from set pieces and it's been a while since we can say that. So I've got Helder Costa play pretty well after his first minute, so we'll <laughs> ignore the goal he gave away. Tyler Roberts played well, and Huggins' debut looked like comfortable. So that's that's my four. Anything to add, Darren? I I think just the, it's the same point as I made against uh, after the Man United defeat. Really, is that that irrespective of the scoreline, our team plays as if it's nil nil, and we'll keep we'll keep going, we'll keep trying the same things, we'll keep following the process, we'll keep trusting their ability, and and you know sometimes that's going to. Um, get as good results and sometimes it's going to get as poor results as it did yesterday but but the commitment to it was was absolutely absolutely there and uh, the other positive was that I enjoyed that that penalty claim being chalked off by VAR so I'm gonna I'm gonna you know VAR can have one from me this this season I still want rid of it but I did enjoy that I have to say I think one one more thing just to add to that I guess it's an extension of what you're saying Darren but the fact that we came out in the second half and we solved problems that, that yeah. were, weren't there you know we came out and we we were positive in that sense we didn't just roll over and sit deep and and try and damage limit 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 we we went out and we actually um were trying to get back into the game and you know if that Bamford penalty is given again I I find very little point talking about penalty decisions but if that's given then we go to 4-3 suddenly that's a, an absolute belter of a game and you have you, you know anything can happen the opposition could just collapse at that point and we could have got something out of the game but it, it's that attitude is, is nice to, to watch and it was nice to have a good second half to just sort of salve us from the first half you know it's almost if if we'd have played as badly in the second half as we did in the first half I think this would have been the hardest podcast in the world to do but I don't (laughs) I don't feel as though it's been that difficult to record this morning so there's another um, positive and so I guess there you have it the all stats not me review of the Arsenal game we'll be back on Wednesday I think this week with a Wolves preview because we're playing them on Friday so uh, our our whole um, schedule is accelerated here so um you'll you'll get us back on wednesday we've got a southampton game next week too so we will be having a couple more doubled another more double headers sorry about that um but no, we'll i'm get... stressing about southampton oh yeah oh they're rubbish at the moment not about, worry yeah, about but... <laughs> yeah but yeah but like, if, if southampton do anything well it's high pressing right um <laughs> yeah. which as we've seen is, is maybe not the best but if you like our content and want to get more of it at the moment that's an incredible commitment to the course uh, because we're going to have podcasts out very regularly because we have games very regularly but uh, we do have a patreon account which allows you to get bonus material that isn't available to the average punters if that sounds interesting to you then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and you can find video analyses and you can find 
bonus podcast. I think this week we're going to do a Q&A on Thursday evening at 8 o'clock. Um, it will be live, so we will put the details for that in our Patreon channel as well. That's only for patrons. Three people who have done that this week and signed up to our Patreon are Matt Scott, Bob Metcalf, and Ryan Mortimer. So thank you guys for joining us. And all that remains for me to do is to say thank you to Darren. Thank you. Thank you to Tom. Thank you very much. And we'll see you on Wednesday. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.